Hello and welcome to part one of episode 27 of the Universe Podcast. I'm your host Leo, here with my co-host Charlotte and our guest Keith Gray. Hello everybody. Keith, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, my name's Keith Gray and I write, review and edit mainly for young adults, um, but I have written a few books for children as well. And since when do you write? Uh, well, I've, I've been writing since I was a teenager, but I, I had my first book published when I was 24, um, which was a long, long time ago. Uh, what's quite nice, the book's still in print, though, all this time later, so that's you know quite nice that it, it's still being read, even though it's a history lesson, more or less, nowadays, I guess. What, what's the name of that book? It's called Creepers, um, and it's about... It's about gangs of kids who go garden creeping. So you've got a street of houses. I, I'm from the UK, so a street of houses all next door to each other and all the back gardens next door to each other. And you've got to make your way from the first back garden to the last back garden as fast as you can, leaping over all the fences, avoiding any dogs that live there, okay. not being caught by the residents. And where I grew up uh, in England, we called it garden creeping. I see. And as I've travelled around a little bit, um, I ended up living in Scotland and the kids around there, they call it nippies or hedge hopping. Um, the police call it trespassing, apparently. <laughs> uh, but it was about gangs of kids who did this as a kind of a, a macho sport. Kind okay. of. They didn't play football or they didn't mm. play basketball. They went creeping and it was a sort of a gang of kids. Um, and that's what the first book was about. Cool. Okay. Yeah, um, so that was the first book um, published way back in the 90s. Um, in 1996, before, in the UK anyway, before young adult fiction was even called young adult fiction. It was called teenage fiction back then. Um, and then, of course, the Americans came along and made it cool. <laughs> and it became YA. <laughs> I'm, I'm smiling because that's the year I was born. Oh, great. No, that's, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Leo. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Sorry, do I make you feel old now? So you're as old as my uh, first book. Yeah, so it seems. Okay. So I was getting, I was out getting very, very drunk celebrating <laughs> while you were uh, being born. That's why, maybe that's why I was celebrating. Maybe, yes. <laughs> How did the, uh, the publishing of that book happen? Did you send it out to many, many publishers or did it happen quite quickly? Yeah, I mean, this, I'm so sorry, it makes me sound so old. But yeah, it was before the internet, really, or, you know, um, before the internet as we know it. So there was no such thing as self-publishing. And I had to go to a bookshop to look for a, a huge volume of addresses for publishing houses. Wow. And, you know, actually, rather than just Google publishers, I had to go to a bookshop and I, maybe I should have bought the book, but I stood in the bookshop <laughs> going through it and taking addresses. And I, I sent the book out to seven different publishers before um, somebody said yes. Okay. And then it went through an editorial process, um, which lasted 18 months, actually, getting it edited. Um, and then it, it, it was finally published in, in 1996, in cool. summer of 1996. Um, but it was a case of, it was the first book I'd got published, mm -hmm. but it was the third book I'd written. Okay. So I, I could wallpaper this room um, with rejection letters from <laughs> publishers. And back then it wasn't, it was put it in an envelope, send it off. Mm -hmm. wait for it to arrive, wait for them to read it, wait for them to put it back in an envelope mm -hmm. and send it back to you with a rejection letter. So it was a long, long process back then. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. I mean, I guess it has slightly changed now because um, we send everything via email, but still waiting for the answer still takes ages because they get so many things that they have to read. Mm. They do. I I think the the thing I've learned, though, uh, from publishers is... So uh, I'm published by Penguin Random House, and they turned down uh, Harry Potter, uh, which they must be kicking themselves Mm. about. Mm -hmm. Um, So even if... Random House receive a thousand manuscripts in a month. They have to look at all those manuscripts mm-hmm. uh, because the next Harry Potter could be number seven hundred and ninety-eight. Yes, correct. So what if they don't look at you know if they skip that one they've missed the next Harry Potter. So mm-hmm. it, it's quite nice that yes it takes a long time to get a reply from publishers, mm. but they will look at everything. Um, they're very good at the job. They might not need to read a whole manuscript to know whether they'll publish it mm-hmm. or not. They might need just to read the first chapter or mm-hmm. whatever, but they will look at everything that arrives mm-hmm. on their desk. So that's that's quite nice that you will get read. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I just, I mean, everybody, I guess, every uh, author wishes that, but sometimes you would wish for more specific feedback or reasons why they rejected it, and that's not always possible for them, of course. No, it's not. Um, I think that if, if you ever send anything off, and you do get a little bit of feedback. Um, if if it's if it does seem a little bit personal, take that as a as a real bonus, because if you just get back the standard thanks but no thanks, yeah, okay, they don't want it. But if you get back thanks but no thanks, what are you writing next? Or mm-hmm. we really like the character, mm-hmm. even if it's just something tiny like mm-hmm. that. Grip onto that, hold that tight, and try and keep in touch yeah. with that editor and that publishing house, because it's so rare to get something like that. True, that is your first foot in the door. Mm-hmm. But you have True. the whole book finished already. So how's the how's the process till you get there? Uh, in what? So, sorry, how how do you mean uh, the, the actual writing process? Yeah, yeah I mean, um, for me, the writing process, I find it, I enjoy it, but I find it very, very difficult, and mm. I'm a very um, slow writer. So the book I'm working on at the minute, um, it's taken me 18 months so far and it's not like a million words long. It's <laughs> it's only going to be 65, 70,000 words long, but it's taken me 18 months um, to write it. And I find the process um, fun, frustrating, um, agonising, painful, <laughs> um, but with real... You know, I, I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy writing. Um, and I enjoy writing more than I enjoy planning. I don't plan my books, which is maybe why it takes me so long to write. Because I'm, I, I get an idea, I get excited, I start writing. And um, maybe I'll get to page 50 and have a brilliant idea. But I've got to go back to page one to work in that idea. And I have mm. to rewrite 50 pages mm-hmm. and then maybe I'll get to page 60 and I have another brilliant idea and so I have to go back to page one to rewrite <laughs> that, you know, to foreshadow mm-hmm. it in. Whereas maybe if I planned, I'd be a quicker writer if I actually sat down and planned everything out. But I I, I get bored doing that and I actually enjoy the writing process much more and get more excited by ideas that fall into my head while I'm writing. Um, so, so the process of... of of writing a book yeah I I struggle I don't think it gets any easier just because you can write one book it doesn't mean you can write every book mm. um, 
you know, just because you learn to play one song on the piano, it doesn't mean you can learn, you can play every single song on the piano. And I guess it's a bit like that with with writing, you know, books, stories, poems. Um, so I've got many failed books. I've got many half books that I never quite finished, but I've learned that I can cannibalize them oh, yeah. for the next book along the. <laughs> so I never throw anything away. You do, you do return to them in the end. Yeah, you know, oh, I, I did this brilliant thing in that book that I never finished five years ago. Well, let's pull it out, cut mm-hmm. and paste almost, and see if I can work it into the new book. So okay. nothing's ever wasted. Yeah, and I suppose, I mean, there's nothing bad about implementing ideas later because they like the books fermented in a way and it's gonna be a better vintage in the end i hope so yeah i know i think that's a really good way to to put it actually yeah i'd agree with that you said that you started writing as a teenager would you like to tell us a little bit more about that um i was rubbish at football (laughs) (laughs) so was i so was i i I still wanted attention (laughs) (laughs) i um Yeah, I I tried to, when I was at school, I wanted to be an actor, but I couldn't act. I wanted to be a rock star, and I certainly couldn't play the guitar. Um, and I enjoyed reading um, as a teenager. I didn't start reading until I was about 13 or 14. So, well, I, I didn't start reading until I was a teenager, because my parents never encouraged reading any younger than that, really. Um, and you go to my parents' house now, and there's one shelf of fiction in their whole house, just a single shelf of fiction and every book on that shelf I've written. <laughs> and they're all unread. They're all pristine first edition mint copies because they just don't read. They didn't get reading. And so I sort of missed out on so many of the fantastic Roald Dahl books or Wind in the Willows. And the first books I really read were things like Stephen King. Um, that became my teenage fiction and, mm-hmm. and it kind of at the age of 15 I decided I was going to be the next Stephen King <laughs> obviously I failed in that <laughs> endeavor but that was it I wanted to be the next Stephen King and I found that writing stories that I gave to my friends around school got me a little bit of attention mm-hmm. oh Keith you know that's your new story oh wow great can we read it um, and I didn't do very well academically I was asked to leave university mm-hmm. because I got naught percent in my exams Um, what do you study accounting <laughs> oh well because i thought that's what my okay. parents wanted me to do they didn't want me to be a writer they wanted me to do accounting or business or something sensible uh-huh. because they didn't understand books but i failed university miserably uh left university and uh, i was a truck driver for the equivalent of um your ob That you have in Austria, Obi. Yeah. The sort of like the mm. uh, garden, mm-hmm. big garden center mm-hmm. and um, handyman tools. And, and I was a delivery driver driving a truck for oh. the British equivalent of Obi. Um, and while I was driving a truck up and down the whole of Britain, I was sort of writing books in my head. Um, and, uh, and I suppose that my first book was weirdly written in the cab of a, of a big <laughs> truck driving up and down the motorways of, of Great Britain. So um, so that's how it kind of worked worked for me. It was just writing, writing, writing mm-hmm. and being stubborn and not taking no for an answer. And even if somebody said, I don't like your story, I kind of, well, okay, but I do. So I'm going to carry on writing what I like writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a, a lot of stubbornness going on. That's good, I guess. It's a great story. Well, it, it, yeah, and I didn't write it, honestly. <laughs> it's true. Oh, yeah, you said uh, you write mostly what's 
today called YA and children's literature. Do you think there's anything remarkably different about writing books for this uh, age group? Or do you think there's any special expertise uh, relevant to that? And I also thought uh, maybe that being a father yourself, did that change anything or help for, with writing uh, books for kids? Well, it's about 10 questions in one. Yeah, uh, so you can really, choose anyone really you like and uh, go off. <laughs> that's really got me thinking. Um, is there something different about writing YA? Yes, there is something different about writing YA. I think that the teenage years that we all go through, I think that the teenage years are really quite unique and remarkable years. I think that um, when you become a teenager... Uh, whether it's maybe you become a teenager at 12, maybe you don't really become a teenager until you're 15, but it, you're, you, you get these new gifts, maybe, as a teenager. Is that the right way to put it? You, 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 you gain this intelligence that you never had as a child. I think that when you're a young child, up until about the age of 10 or 11, you live your life very um, day by day very tactically you don't know what you're going to do with your day until you get out of bed and see what the weather's like but when you become a teenager you start to think further and further ahead and you start to become more uh, strategic in your thinking because you're starting to decide what you want to do with the rest of your life and you're starting to worry about how people see you and you're becoming more aware of politics and more aware of religion and more aware of society as a whole, you know, all those kind of huge things that you never really understood as a child. And perhaps in a lot of us, we still struggle to understand them. We're, we're adults, but you're starting to gain this consciousness of the outside world, I think, as a teenager. Um, um, so there's, there's that one gift that you get of intelligence and this, this consciousness. Uh, you get a gift of, of a social life as a teenager, uh, which brings a lot of responsibility. So, um, you know, as a child, you, you, you're held quite close to your parents and you're not really allowed out without your parents or without adult supervision. But as a teenager, you're allowed to move further and further away physically and socially from your parents' circle and your family life. Um, and and that, that comes with great responsibility that you're allowed so much more freedom. And some of us can handle that responsibility and some of us can't, but that's a really interesting thing to write about. Um, and you gain this new physicality as a teenager. You know, you get this new body, you know, and it does, it does what? Wow, can I do that again? <laughs> and again, and again, and again. So there's, you know, you get these, these fantastic gifts that you've never had as a child and your teenage years are a lot about learning how to deal with them they can become weapons um, they can become weights on your back that weigh you down uh, they can become different kinds of freedoms or different kinds of toys even and, and I personally I love writing about that time of life before before you're meant to be sorted while you're still experimenting with who you are and I think a lot of my books are all about a single thing. Um, and I think a lot of my books are all about that time in life where you realise you love your parents, but good God, you don't want to be your parents. <laughs> you want to be yourself. And that might be a, a split-second decision, or it may be a slow, gradual understanding over a year or two years. Or uh, And all my books, I think, deal with that. Uh, and I think the... 
the skill you need to write for teenagers is just to be honest and remember what it's like to be a teenager and to remember um, how it felt uh, that, that that it's a fantastic... You've never been so bored in your life as a teenager, but you've never been so much in love in your life as a mm-hmm. teenager. When you read a book as a teenager, that book will change your world. But when you read it as an adult, it'll be interesting and it'll be emotional and it'll be page turning, but it won't change your world like those songs and like those books and those movies did when you was a teenager. Um, and, and tapping into that, I think the best YA writers, the YA writers that I really admire, I think they can they can tap into that and get it down on the page. Mm. Um, and so that's what's enjoyable. I do worry I am obviously getting older um, and I worry that I'm getting further and further away um, from my own personal memories of a teenager. Uh, well, obviously I am, but trying to tie up with how I felt as a teenager with, with modern uh, young people that were born, you know, in, into the 2000s kind of thing. Um, my daughter's currently seven. And so maybe when she's a teenager, I'll feel a little bit more confident again because I can steal her life. <laughs> I can find out what's really upsetting her and put it down on the page. Mm. You know, can interview her. How are you feeling today, Clara? <laughs> are you in a good mood? Oh, well, I can't write about that. Are you feeling really bad? That'll make a good story. Um, so, so we'll see. I'm, I'm happy to keep writing whatever I can write. Mm. Uh, maybe I'll write her a big grown-up serious adult book um, about mortgages and accounting or something. (laughs) I don't really want to. I don't really want to. I enjoy writing about um, rites of passage, coming of age, Mm. growing up. Um, I had had some some really good, good friends as a teenager, and I guess I'm writing about them a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. That was a long answer because it was a very long question. Yeah, I mean, just appropriate, (laughs) yeah. I'm quite impressed that you've kept the ability to tap into that, what it feels like to be a teenager. Maybe I'm just projecting, but I feel like many of us are so glad to have it over with, to finally be out of those years that we kind of we put a wall down, yeah. uh, try to forget all about it, and now we're a new person at the teenager, you know, the teenager me, that's not really me anymore. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can I can absolutely see that. There's, but maybe I'm... Um, Maybe I'm a masochist and I, I kind of like writing about my humiliation. <laughs> I just give it a different name. I give the character a different name. But it's, um, I, uh, I've spent a lot of time with young people in the sense that um, I visit schools a lot. So I, I, as, a, as a writer for young people, you often get invited into schools to give talks about writing or to try and to encourage teenagers to read books, not just my books, but all kinds of books. Um, and so I, I spend a lot of time talking to my target audience, if you like, to find out mm-hmm. what they're interested in. Oh. And you find that, yes, okay, so my first book, Creepers, no such thing as a mobile phone appears in that book anywhere. Um, whereas, of course, nowadays, you know, everybody's got a mobile phone. But a teenager back in 1996, when Creepers was published, wanted to fit in and could be bullied and wanted to fall in love and was discovering themselves the same as a teenager in 2019. So some things stay the same. It's kind of the technology changes, but the emotion doesn't, mm-hmm. maybe. I don't, I don't think, though, that um, not having mobile phones in your story makes it any 
less interesting for for I don't know. At least it didn't make it less interesting for me to read as a teenager. I also enjoyed stories without mobile phones, I think. Yeah, I think if if you read it and you understand it's not set right here, right? Yeah. Uh, this second. Um that then then yeah, you can still hopefully enjoy the book. Um because I say those emotions it's strange when I um when I first started writing for children, I was told the first rule of writing for young people was get rid of the parents and then the kids can have an adventure because you know you can't have an adventure and get into trouble with parents looking over your shoulder mm. you know so first rule of writing for young people get rid of the parents and the kids can have an adventure nowadays i think the first rule of writing for young people is get rid of the mobile phone <laughs> and then kids because you can't get lost in a haunted house if you just phone your your mother to come and collect you in her car oh, you know that's yeah. a rubbish story mm-hmm. so you have to and it's funny with the reviewing of, of young adult fiction that I've done, you often find in the first couple of chapters, the first 40 pages, oh, okay, that's how they ditch their mobile phone. Okay, that's that's how it goes. I'm just going back through all the books I've recently read, like, where's the mobile phone? And if there was a mobile phone all through the book, it's usually books that are very introspective, that are all, like, mostly happening in the teenagers heads yeah. now they can kill a story on mobile phone they can. Yeah. so you'd be amazed i'm sure that mobile phone companies get really angry that there's <laughs> so many places you can't get a mobile phone signal <laughs> i'm sure their coverage signal wise is much much better in real life but mm-hmm. in, in fiction mobile phones are pretty rubbish at getting signals when yeah. you need one so. they have to be like cars <laughs> that never start in a Yay. horror movie or something <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. You know. yeah very true I find your definition of a teenager very interesting because if that is a person who can be shaken to their mark by reading a book or watching a film, that also describes me. So from your definition, I would still be a teenager then, I guess. You'd write some great young... (laughs) But but I think that's, you know, not losing that. I worry that adults, we lose that kind of ability... um, and, and and that you still got got it, that you're perfect YA writer. Well, I mean, sometimes it's very hard because I can watch a film and it can depress me for three days because it moved me so much in a way. Or I read a book and it does the same to me. And then, I mean, I remember I only read, I think, The Packs of Being a Wallflower last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and after I read it, I had to like, I immediately went on... YouTube and Googled the song that he mentions all the time, like his favorite song, Asleep by the Smiths. Mm. And I listened to that song like so many times in a row. And then I I wrote down my favorite parts and the quotes. And yeah, so I think that still happens. I think it just, maybe it's more, maybe adults lose their sensitivity. Maybe. I I think that um, the outside world gets in a bit too much. You know, we get... I wish I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to quote somebody and I can't remember their name now. Um, an American writer who said that as we get older, we the magic that's inside us, whether that's imagination or the power to have empathy with other people, but a lot of the time as we get older, we, the magic inside us, it, it gets educated out of us, it gets mm-hmm. beaten out of us, it gets washed and combed out of us, you know, it gets taxed out of us or, <laughs> or whatever. And, and I think, you know, I, I'm... I, I'd love to think that 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 we can hold on to that that feeling of falling into a book and it changing our world, and that feeling mm-hmm. of, of movies that because that's why we want to write, isn't it? We want to yeah. we want people to love our fiction for what it does to them, you know. Um, 
And sorry, I, I have another question. Um, you said that you were that you go to schools and talk to young people about reading. Have you ever met anyone who said they hate reading and they could never ever in their entire life ever like it? Yeah, there's uh, there's some quite challenging um, <laughs> young people out there. <laughs> yeah, I've I've worked in um, in Britain. We call them uh, secure secure units. So mm -hmm. for um, young people that are being well, young people's prisons to be very. Okay. Um, Uh, very base level about it, but yeah, I've worked in secure units with with children who books mean absolutely nothing to them, and there is a big problem in Britain at the moment that um, a lot of young people just see books as education, mm -hmm. uh, and I find my job going into school sometimes to try and prove to young people that books are actually entertainment. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, I don't write a book so that somebody can pass their exams. <laughs> I don't write a book so that you can get a university qualification. I write a book to entertain you. Yeah. And I think that's what writers are part of the entertainment business. But more and more young people only access books, fictional books, when they have to study them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that seems crazy to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, I, I've, I've come across quite a few young people who just, I'll never read, I'll never read. And not everybody will. Not everybody's going to like football. Um, not everybody's going to read. Not everybody's going to enjoy whiskey. I don't <laughs> know. But I think that everybody should be given the opportunity to be able to access fiction as an entertainment and not just as something that's going to make them a better person or something that's going to help them pass an exam. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that um, at, the, at the moment in Britain, we're quite lucky that the school library system is... is fairly strong it's weakening but the, in every high school there is a school library and the library is not just for uh study it is there to borrow books for mm -hmm. entertainment purposes and they're struggling i've got to admit the school libraries are struggling um but there's a big push on to keep reminding young people hey this book is just fun mm -hmm. you're not going to learn anything <laughs> You're not going to pass an exam. You're just going to read it and have fun, mm -hmm. you know? And maybe there'll be something in there to think about in a couple mm -hmm. of years' time that you didn't notice the author mm -hmm. had sneaked in. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people um, that, that won't read, that say it's not for them. It's a difficult thing to do, reading. You, you need to be engaged. Watching a movie, you can fall asleep in the middle of it. Yes. If you fall it's a in, commitment to yeah, read a book. Yeah, it is. You know, you yeah. fall asleep in the middle of reading a book and you miss out. Mm, true. Very true. Though I find I find reading a book less of a commitment than watching a movie. So mm -hmm. uh, I like movies like like two and a half hours, mm. or not two and a half, like one and a half, two two and a half, depending on the movie. Yeah. <laughs> But if you watch a long fantasy movie, but like you have to sit through everything. And with books, I can do ten minutes and then be done again for the day. And well, it's the way back. that watching a movie, especially on a tablet or on a laptop, perhaps watching a movie or on the new TVs, but. Um, I've found sometimes I'll be watching a, a movie on my laptop and then I'll just make the screen small because I'll do mm. a bit of emailing at the same mm -hmm. time while I'm watching the movie or I'll I'll go shopping on Amazon while I'm watching the movie. But when you're reading a book, you can't True. do that. Yeah, you have nothing. to be committed to the book. Yeah. No other tab so. on the page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe we could go on to your reading of the books to uh, maybe show people how fun it is to read. This was episode 27, part one of the Universe podcast. Part two of our interview with Keith will follow in two weeks' time. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe podcast wherever you're listening to it. 
If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review to tell us what you think and help other people find the podcasts. And tell all your friends about it. Comments? Questions? You can reach us on Twitter, we're at PodUniverse, on Facebook, or on our email address, podcast at universe.univ.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonhard Engelmeyer. The co-host was Charlotte Zerz. Our guest on this episode was Keith Gray. You can get his books on Amazon UK and also make sure to check out the Sunday Writers Club on Meetup, sundaywritersclub.wordpress.com or on Facebook. On the editorial board for this episode were Charlotte Zerz and Leonhard Engelmeyer. I hope you visit this planet in the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thanks for listening.